Well, good morning, everyone. Turn your neighbor and say, it's still a good day. You know, I was thinking as we were worshiping today, that we live in a very precarious world today, and obviously we could see that as people are abandoning their faith, um, more and more we can see our culture declining in, in so many different ways. And the truth of the matter is, is Jesus still is the cornerstone and he is the answer. And I want to make a commitment to you as your pastor that in a world where things start, seem to be getting more and more relative and uh, people seem to be abandoning those core values and core convictions in the word of God and, and those things that are black and white are becoming gray areas and some of them are becoming non-essential in the church in the sense of those things that are really on God's heart and, and break God's heart and people don't want to preach it anymore because people won't come. In fact, I read a statistic this morning that startled me when it comes to certain things, certain styles of living and lifestyles and, and that, that pastors are not preaching against certain things anymore because people won't come to church if the pastor says this or that. And um, I just want to make it very clear to you today that this pastor, he will always preach the word of God. And he will always preach the truth. No matter what, he will always preach the truth. You will always get the truth from this, from this podium and from this pulpit. And so I want you to pray with me this morning that the Lord would just grant us wisdom as we go into God's word today and as we learn the word of the Lord. Father, we just thank you today for your word. We thank you, O oh God, that you are God. And we thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all of the things that are happening around us, and God, I know there's some people in this room that are afraid as they look out. Fear is beginning to grip their hearts because they're not sure what is going to happen in the future. But I'm sure what's going to happen in the future is that, Jesus, you're coming again. Lord, that... These things must take place, Lord, as the word of the Lord says, that all these things must come to pass. But we are looking up because our redemption is drawing nigh. So, Lord, even though it breaks our heart to see some of the things that are happening in our country, Lord, we thank you, O oh God, that you're still on the throne. You're still sovereign. Your word is still true. And these things must come to pass. And then the end will come, Lord. But we have a sure foundation, and we know, Lord God, that ultimately you're in control. We thank you for that, Father. Why don't you just raise your hands with me and just begin to worship him and say, thank you, Lord, that you're in control. We'll stand firm, Lord God. We'll be true to your word, Father. No matter what comes our way, we'll be true to your word, God. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are our rock our anchor and our cornerstone. Thank you, Jesus, that nothing that happens in this world does not go by you first, Lord. God, I recognize that there are questions of why things happen, Lord, but we live in a fallen world and mankind has wanted to go his way, do his thing. God, but we thank you, Lord, that you will keep those that you have, Lord, saved and redeemed. You said you will present us blameless on that day, Father. You will finish the work that you've begun in us. God, we will not fall away. Lord God, we will not fear because we know that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I just really felt this morning prophetically to pray that prayer. I felt like somebody needed to hear that this morning before I go into the word. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Come on, pull out your Bibles and I want you to bring your Bibles to church. I want you to mark up your Bibles. I want you to remember and I want you to learn the word because in the times in which we are living in and as we go deeper and deeper as a country away from God and deeper into sin, you're going to have to know the word of God. You're going to have to know the word of God. Do not be deceived. 
God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, everybody say proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so this morning, I want to continue my series entitled Decisions. And last week, we discovered that our lives are a culmination of all the decisions that we make in life. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube, that each time you make a decision, each time you take and turn the Rubik's Cube, you have to make another decision. And life is that way where... Each decision has a consequence. Every day we face all kinds of decisions in our life. Some are moral and some are amoral. Some things God just leaves up to us to say, you know what? If you like blue, choose blue. If you like red, choose red. It doesn't matter to me. If you like vanilla, choose vanilla. If you like chocolate, choose chocolate. There are some things that you just make those decisions and that's a good thing. And God honors those decisions because your heart is towards him. We've also discovered that God reveals himself in three ways, in his powerful works. The Bible says that we are to thank the Lord and bless the Lord because of his awesome works. And then he reveals himself in his perfect ways, his perfect ways, the way that he thinks, the way that he feels, how things are to God, the things that he loves and the things that he hates. These things are important to God, and so the Bible says that we are to walk in his ways. And then he reveals himself by his perfect will, by his perfect will. And friends, I want you to know God has a perfect will for you, but how do we find his will? Well, a lot of times we ask God to show us his will, and so we take a a long sheet of paper and say, God, this is what I want in my life. I want to be married. Show me the person that that you want me to marry, instead of saying, God, do you really want me to be married? God, your will be done through your perfect ways. God, I want to live here. Show me the house that I should buy there. And instead of saying, God, I just want to walk in your ways. Why? Because when you're walking in the ways of God, you will find the will of God. It's on the way, walking in the ways of God that you find the will of God in your life. And so last week we, was, we discovered that, that God is more interested in who we are than what we have. God is more interested in who we are than what we have. And so often when we ask God to show us his will, we're talking about what we can possess in our life. And God's saying, I've got a, a greater plan for your life. I want to make you, I want to turn you into a person who loves me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I want to conform you into the image of my son. Somebody say amen. God is more interested in who you are than where you live. God is much more interested in who you are than what you do in life. That's the difference between legalism and holiness. You know, what we do in life so often is attached to our self-image. What we do in life is attached to how we feel about ourselves. And I meet with a group of pastors, and I mentor pastors. I pour into the life of pastors. And so often I encourage the pastor to realize that, that, that they are a child of God, and God is doing a work inside of them, and God loves them not because they're in the ministry, not because they're a pastor, but because they know the master, and because the master loves them personally, whether they were a pastor or not. Come on, somebody say amen. What you do doesn't reflect or what you do doesn't determine how much God loves you. God loves you just because he chooses to love you. Somebody say amen. And so who we are is much more important than what we do in our life. So how do we find God's way? We find God's way by understanding that God's way always lines up with God's word. If you want to know God's will... You've got, to remember, you've got to remember that God, his ways are found through his word. As, as David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against your ways. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. 
Oh, that I, David says, oh, that I love your word, God. That I love your precepts. That I love to meditate on your word. Why? Because when you get into the word of God and, and when the word of God gets inside of you, then you can walk in the ways of the Lord. Because you'll hear the voice of God. How does the Holy Spirit speak to you? He speaks to you by his word. Come on, somebody say amen. He'll bring back to your remembrance the word of God. I want to encourage you to memorize God's word. You might be older today and you say, well, you know what, I, uh, you know, my memory is going. No, let me tell you something. Get a three by five card and write down a verse a day and memorize that verse. Get it into your spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will guide you and speak to you when you put the word of God into your heart. And so God's word is always in line with God's ways and God's will is always in line with God's word. Somebody help me out and say amen. Now in God's word, there's black and white. In God's word, there are certain things that are black and white. You shouldn't do this, and you should do this. And then there are things that God just says, you know what? When you walk in my ways, and you're filled with my spirit, and when you read my word, you'll know the principles that are found in God's word so that when you have to make a decision, you'll be able to make that decision because you're filled with the spirit, you know God's word, you're walking in God's way, and you can feel confident that whatever decision you make, God is working it out for your good and for his glory. Come on, somebody say amen. Now, we're going to make some mistakes in life. You know, I was driving to church today, and I was talking to my daughter. I said, you know what? I still make some mistakes in my life. But I know that I know that I know that my heart is set on serving God, loving God. And when I want to honor God, and when I want to honor His Word, even when I make a decision that God's like, no, it's probably not the smartest decision. You know, God is a loving Father. And He takes that silly decision that I, I might have made. Not a, not a sinful decision. You know, when you make a sinful decision, you've got you to gotta live with the consequences. I'm just talking about, you know, you've got this decision and this decision. Which house to buy? Which car to buy? Listen, I've bought some bombs. I've bought some lemons. You know? But I believe with all my heart that even when I buy a lemon, when I buy a car that's a bomb, God can turn it into something good. Come on, somebody. There might be somebody that I need to witness to, you know, when I go to the car place. There might be somebody who's going to help me fix my bomb, and I'm going to help, you know, share the gospel with that person. You see, it's all connected. When we make a decision, we've got to believe when our heart is set on doing the right thing, even when we do something that's not, it's not so much it's like out of the will of God. It's just not the best decision to make, you know. And you, you had two cars to buy, and you bought the one that was a bomb. You know what? God is going to use that for his glory anyway come on somebody because our heart is in the right place now you should you, you should get the facts get the car facts all right do yourself a favor get the car facts all right but even when you don't God is in control of your life how many believe that God is in control of your life and surrendering our wills to his ways are the way in which we find his perfect will for our life and as we delight ourselves in the Lord, and what does it mean to delight ourselves in the Lord? You know, when we say delight ourselves in the Lord and he shall give us the desires of our heart, you know what that means? It means that we run after God with all of our heart. And, and what pleases him pleases us. And what displeases him displeases us. And when we run after God with all of our heart, and when we find our joy in God. You know, let me just tell you as a testimony, I was 19 years old. When I completely surrendered my life to the Lord and, you know, I, and I came out of a life of, you know, a couple of years of partying and clubbing and going to discotheques and just, you know, wanting to have fun in my life. And some of it was fun. But let me tell you something. When, when I met Jesus and, and, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and, 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 and I wanted to know God more, I tell you what, I have had more fun in worship services than any discotheque that I've ever been in my life. You know, because I, I'm I just love Jesus, and I can dance in, in, in His presence, and He rejoices over me with dancing, as the Word of the Lord says. Amen. There's joy in the Christian life that you would never know. And you know what? I'll tell you the truth. I, I, I'm not missing anything. I don't miss the discotheques. I don't miss the music. You know what? Every once in a while, I'll go to, to some Christian wedding, and I'll say, what in the world is going on? This music is like from the world, you know? And I'll think to myself, what is this, you know? I mean, I left that a long time ago, and 
I don't need this. I have the joy of the Lord. And if I want to dance, I'm going to dance the Christian music. Come on, somebody. I'm going to dance the music that lifts up the name of Jesus and glorifies his holy name. Why? Because I delight in him. I love to hear the music that glorifies and lifts up the name of Jesus. We don't need the music of the world. Come on, somebody. We don't need that stuff. Put it behind you. Forget what's behind and glorify God with music that glorifies him. Come on, somebody. Say amen. I'm just throwing that in. I'm just throwing that in free of charge. Glory to God. It's springtime, and you know what? The Christians start to go a little wild. Hallelujah. Got to throw that in a little bit. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord, listen to me, he establishes our steps, and he makes our path straight. Now, this morning, I want to speak to you about making decisions without regrets making decisions without regret. So I want you to take out a piece of paper. I want you to put on the top of that, making decisions without regrets. Now, I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God is loving. But I also believe that God has given us a free will. That even though he's loving and he's sovereign, in order for us to be created in his image, he had to make us like him with a free will. So we have a free will. Why did God put the tree in the garden because he wanted to show Adam and Eve that they could still choose. He gave them the choice. Either you obey me, you follow me, you listen to me, or you disobey me and you suffer the consequences of disobedience in your life. You know, Joshua said, choose today who you will follow. And God is still saying that to you every day of your life. You make a choice. You make a choice whether or not you're going to serve me today. You make a choice whether or not you're going to obey me. You make a choice whether or not you're going to glorify my name today. You know, the Israelites were warned by God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I won't, I won't read the verse, but just I want you to turn and I want you to look at it for a moment. I want you to mark it because when I want, what I want you to do is go home and I want you to read what God says to the people of Israel. But basically, he says this. He says, if you choose to obey me and you make the right decisions, he said this. He said, you will be blessed in the city and you will be blessed in the country. He said, you will be the head and not the tail. You'll be blessed when you go in and you'll be blessed when you go out. He said, if you choose to obey me, you will be fruitful and you will multiply and you will be a victor over your enemies. I mean, read Deuteronomy 28 when you go home. God gives us his great promises. And he tells us, if you do this, you will have a blessed life. If you do this, this will be the outcome of your life. If you obey me, if you trust me, if you listen to my word, then you're going to be blessed. Your family's going to be blessed. Your grandchildren are going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed in the city, in the country. You're going to be the head and not the tail. And when your enemy comes against you, they will come against you one way and you'll send them fleeing in seven different ways. But if you choose to disobey me and make the wrong moral decision in your life because you have a free choice to choose whether you're going to listen to me and obey me, he said, if you choose to disobey me, you'll be cursed. He said, you'll be barren. He said, you'll be barren spiritually. You'll be barren physically. He said, you'll be weak against your enemy. You'll face drought in the land, and you'll live a life of confusion. Listen to me. Disobeying God always leads to confusion in our life. And so while I truly believe with all my heart that God loves us, and I believe he loves us with an infinite love. And, and when we come to God in our brokenness because we have made some incredibly bad decisions in our life and it was out of rebellion or out of a refusal to listen to God and to, to, to godly counsel and God's going to put godly counsel around you. The Bible says in the counsel of many there is safety and God has put pastors in your life. God has put people in your life that are good, solid mature, deep Christians so that when they tell you something, you need to listen to them. You need to take godly wisdom and godly counsel because in the counsel of many, there is safety. Now, you don't have to listen to everyone, but I want to tell you, when you're making a major decision in your life, or maybe it's a major moral decision in your life, maybe you're thinking about divorcing your husband or your wife, maybe you're thinking about getting married, whatever it may be, you need to seek the counsel of those people that have already been there that know the word of God that are filled with the spirit that are in authority that can give you the word of the Lord now listen you take it you look at it you look in the scriptures 
you find out what the word of God says about it, then you make a decision. But the Bible says in the counsel of many, there is safety. Let me tell you something. Even though God loves you with an infinite love, and even though that you could take your mess to God and God's going to put some pieces back together for you, I want you to know, as the word of the Lord says in Galatians, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he also reaps. You see, God has put the law of sowing and reaping into motion. It's kind of like the law of gravity. You know, if I go to the Empire State Building and I jump off the Empire State Building and I change my mind halfway down, what do you think is going to happen? The same result. <laughs> because I made a decision. And so some decisions have consequences in our life. So the Bible is still dead accurate when it declares, whatsoever a man sows, he also will reap. Reaping is the consequence of good decisions, and reaping is the consequences of bad decisions. And Paul the Apostle said that you need to be firm in doing what is good. Why? Because in due season, you will reap that which you have sown. Friends, I want you to know that God wants you to know today that when you do good, even when you don't see it right away, God is going to bless your life. Hallelujah. It might not even be on this side of eternity, but I want you to know one thing. God is not mocked. If God said he's going to bless you, he's going to bless you. It may be in heaven, but God is going to be true to his word. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. And so reaping is the consequences. So good, sound decisions reap good, sound, eternal consequences. Not, it's not always easy. Sometimes you've got to make the hard decision in life. And sometimes you can't take shortcuts. And some, sometimes you can't, you can't buy gold-plated jewelry. Sometimes you got to go for the gold, and the gold has to be put through the fire so that it can come out as pure gold. And sometimes making the right decision isn't always the easiest one. Usually it's not the easiest one. Usually when it's too easy, it's a shortcut. And usually when it's too easy, it's a shortcut from the enemy. Come on, somebody. So bad decisions reap consequences as well. And they're not always immediate. Sometimes you can make a decision think you got away with it. Hmm? And sometimes the consequences are not always obvious, as the word of the Lord says. Sometimes they trail behind. And somewhere down the line, you're going to see that this, this decision that I made has some really bad consequences because I didn't listen to people. I didn't listen to those who loved me, who cared enough. And the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another man. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. So friends, sometimes a, a friend's going to come in your life and tell you something. You want to hear it. But God wants to, to protect you from some, some long-term consequence in your life. But you see... Bad decisions, bad moral decisions always have eternal consequences. They always reap death. As the Bible says, there, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So Paul assures, assures us, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So there's always consequences to bad decisions. And as your pastor, I want you to know that I owe it to you to warn you. Young person... I owe it to you in this room to warn you. Now, this tends to be, you know, the more mature service. And so turn to your neighbor and say, but I'm still young, even though I don't look it. So I, I'm, convinced that, I'm convinced that the devil, young person, wants you to make some really lousy decisions. And that's why I think the devil really works hard. And that's why, let me, please, look at me, please. Whatever it takes, volunteer for VBS. Because most of the people that come to Christ, they come to Christ before the age of 18. And I'm telling you, the devil, he will come really hard against children. He comes really hard against youth and young adults. Why? Because he knows that a youth and a young adult, as, they, as, uh, as uh, one said, a youth. The devil knows that young people, they have to make some incredible decisions in their life. Who are they going to marry? What career are they going to choose? What path are they going to take? So if the devil can work overtime on our young people to get them to make bad decisions in their life, then they're going to have to deal with those consequences for a lifetime. And so we need to, to gather around our young people and love our young people and pray for them and support them and teach them the word of God so that when they're old, they will not depart from the faith. 
So there's always consequences. And young person, I want you to know, the devil wants you to make some really bad decisions. He wants you to get in the flesh because he knows that if he can get you in the flesh and you can make some bad decisions, those consequences are going to follow you for the rest of your life. So let me ask you a question. How many of us in this room have made some bad decisions in our life? Let me see your hands. The rest of you are like asleep. You know, it may have been five or 10 or 20 years ago, but some of us are still paying for those decisions that we made in our life. A decision that only took one moment may end in, in cost, costing you years and years of trying to recover from that bad decision. It might have might have been a financial decision, it might have been a marital decision, it might have been a relational decision or an occupational decision that has shaped your world that exists today. One thing is for sure, if you knew what you knew today, you probably would have made a different decision in your life. I know about you, but if I knew some things that I know today, when I was making that major decision, I would have made a different decision. And that has nothing to do with my wife. I would have still married her. Come on. That was a good one. That was a keeper right there. So for some of us, one bad decision has kept us from experiencing the fullness and purpose of God in our life. However, bad decisions don't always have to be fatal. They can also be formative. One of the most difficult things that we need to do is to own up to our bad decisions, but also one of the most difficult things to do is to learn how to make some really good decisions in our life. And so, how do we make decisions without regrets in our life? How do we make good decisions without regretting the decisions that we make? Number one, write this down. Never, ever make a decision when you're hungry. <laughs> Never make a decision when you're hungry. You know, have you ever gone to the supermarket when you were hungry? My wife does not take me to the supermarket until she feeds me. She feeds me good. Why? Because when I go to the supermarket and I'm hungry, I'm taking everything off the shelf. I'm thinking, wow, look at that over there. I mean, you know, I have high cholesterol, but when I'm starving and I'm in the supermarket, that provolone looks really good. You know what I'm talking about. You know, that nice steak looks really good. And so we tend to make bad decisions in our life when we are needy. So never make a decision when you're hungry or you're needy. In fact, let me, let me go one step further and say never make a decision when you're so emotionally angry or depressed or lonely or confused or, or even euphoric where you feel like, you know what, I'm on top of the world. Don't ever make an emotional decision when you're an emotional wreck. In fact, there's a story in the Bible about a young man who got hungry and made a fatal decision in his life. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. Here's a young man who made a very fatal decision in his life. Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home and he was exhausted and hungry from the hunt. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew you've made. This was how Esau got his other name, Edom, red. Jacob replied, All right. But trade me your birthright for it. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is it that I have a birthright to me right now? So Jacob insisted, well then, swear to me right now that it's mine. So Esau swore on an oath, thereby selling all of its rights as the firstborn to his younger brother. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. You know, I read that this morning, and in another translation, it said that, that Esau hated his birthright, that he despised his birthright. Wow, we're going to talk about that in a moment. So Esau makes a decision that would cost him for the rest of his life. Why? Because Esau allowed his stomach to determine the outcome of his life. Esau arrives home, and the Bible says that he's exhausted, and he's hungry from the hunt, and Esau says to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some food. Notice four things that led Esau to make a bad decision. Number one, Esau allowed his stomach to override his good senses. 
And friends, I want you to know we're still living in a world where there is incredible temptation all around us. And we still have to battle with the flesh in our life. And, and friends, let me tell you, whatever you feed is going to be the strongest part of your life. So if you feed the flesh, your flesh is going to be strong. If you feed the spirit, your, your spirit is going to be strong. That's why you have to feed yourself with God's word always. Why? Because the spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another. And there's a fight that's going on every day of your life. We wrestle against the flesh, the Bible says, and we've got to die to ourselves every day. But friend, if you allow the flesh to override your good senses, you're going to make a bad decision in your life. Esau allowed his feelings to override his intelligence. Esau allowed his present need to override his future. Listen to me. He was hungry. The truth is, he was hungry. And we all have needs in our life, don't we? We all have needs. We have physical needs in our life. We have emotional needs in our life. We have sexual needs in our life. We have relational needs in our life. We have emotional needs in our life. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm really needy. Because we are. We have all kinds of needs in our life. And the truth is that when we make a decision in the midst of a crisis, when we make a decision based on our emotional state of being, whether we're high or low, based on our physical needs, based on our sexual needs, it will more than likely cause us to make a short-sighted decision and it'll end up costing us more than what we receive in that gratification for that moment. It might feel good for the moment. Listen to me. It might feel good for the moment. It might be gratifying for a season. It might even make you happy for some time. But it'll always end up feeding your flesh. And when you feed, listen to me, when you feed your flesh, your flesh will get hungry again. I mean, I, I, I get mad at myself sometimes. You know why? Because sometimes I'll go to a restaurant and I will gorge myself. You know when you do that, you can't even get out of the restaurant. You're like, oh man, did I eat too much. But I am amazed that three hours later I'm hungry again. I mean, it just amazes me. I eat all this food. In fact, the, it, listen, the more food I eat, the hungrier I get. Did you ever notice that? It's not like, you know what, I'm going to really fill up today. I'm going to really, you know, like, like when you're going to fast, like for a week or something, till the day before you fast, you say, you know what, I'm going to eat enough food for the whole week. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It seems like the more food you eat, the hungrier you get, and the quicker you get hungry. Did you ever notice that when, when, when you eat like at 11 or, or 12 o'clock at night, especially when you eat pasta fazul? When you eat pasta at 12 o'clock at night, I mean, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And my stomach's like, come on, give me some more food. I'm thinking to myself, I just ate. See, because the flesh is never satisfied. We all get hungry. We all get thirsty. We all have desires in our life. We all get tired. We all face times of needs in our life. But people who make good decisions, listen to me, people who make sound decisions, people who make godly decisions, Never allow their senses or never allow their sense of need to override their God-given sense of what is right and what is wrong. They never allow their senses, their physical senses, their needs to override their ability to wait on God's timing. To desire what God desires more than what they desire in their life. To, to override God's very best for their life. Listen to me, Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of lentils. God will always offer you the very best. And then he'll give you the decision to make. Will you wait for my very best or will you trade it for the immediate gratification that you get in the flesh? Will you wait or will you take the first thing that comes, the first person that comes your way? You see, the devil will always come to you and offer you something that you need. And along the way, he will deceive you and you'll make a mistake in your life. The devil will always come and offer you something you need and sell you a bag of counterfeits. 
In fact, the devil specializes in counterfeit. He specializes in counterfeit sex. He specializes in counterfeit relationships, in counterfeit religions. The Bible says the devil will come like an angel of light. It broke my heart this week as I went on Facebook, and it was a young lady who used to come to the church. And she put on Facebook, she said, I just went to a medium. I just went to a psychic. I know it's not for everyone, but man, did he ring my bell and tell me everything that I needed to hear. And I was so heartbroken. I got back on. I said, please forgive me. I don't mean to butt into your life, but I love you, and I still consider you my. I still consider you one of the people that are in my church, and I consider myself your pastor. And I need to tell you, this is what God's word says about psychics, and this is what God's word says about mediums. And let me tell you something: the Bible is clear that is it's a sin to go seek advice from a medium or a, a psychic. And let me tell you something: they do know a lot about your life. Why? Because they're demon possessed, and demons know a lot of things. Come on, somebody. So don't, don't, don't let it fool you just because you think, well, they knew everything about me because the Bible says that they're inspired by demons. And so the enemy will, will offer you counterfeit spirituality. He'll even offer you counterfeit happiness. It's called gold-plated living. It'll be hollow in the end. Empty living by offering you the right now decision that will lead you down a road of bad consequences. Sex isn't wrong. You know, God created sex. I know a lot of us, when the pastor starts talking about sex in church, you start blushing. But the truth is, God created sex. He said to Adam and Eve, you are now one, so go have a good time. Along the way, procreate. He said, go and recreate and go procreate. He said, be fruitful and multiply. But you see, the devil tells us that we need it now. We can have it with anyone we want. But God says, no, 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 no. You wait until you're married. You wait until you can make a lifelong commitment because the two become one flesh. And then you can go and recreate and you can procreate in God's way. Come on, somebody say amen. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage should be honorable above all. And the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexual immoral, keeping your lives free from the love of money and to be content with what you have because God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Being wealthy is not a bad thing. You know, having money is not a bad thing. Some people say, you know, because I'm a Christian, I have to be poor. No, God wants to bless you. And being wealthy doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. But taking shortcuts, doing it the devil's way, will always take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Come on, somebody say amen. Relationships are not bad. But the devil will offer you shortcuts in relationships that will lead to bad decisions in your life. And these are all human needs in our life. Sex is a human need. Relationships are a human need. Money is a human need. But the writer of Hebrews says the love of money is the root of all evils. Why? Because what does he say? He says, be content in what you have. Know that the Lord will not leave you, but he'll provide everything that you need in your life. So don't take shortcuts in your life. I'm reminded of when the devil came to tempt Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus went into the wilderness for how long? For 40 days and 40 nights. And he did not eat all that time. And it was necessary for Jesus to do that. Because I believe during those 40 days, he was tempted just like we are tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in every single way, the way we are tempted. And, and listen to me, Jesus was a single man. And, and, and don't think for one moment that Jesus was not tempted sexually. But the Bible says that he was without sin. So we can go to him knowing that he's our mighty conqueror. He conquered sin. He conquered sexual sin. He conquered the sin of money. He conquered the, the sin of pride. He conquered the sin of all kinds of things in his life. And as a result of that, the Bible says we can go to him and we can be confident that he will help us in a time of need because we have a high priest that's been compassed and encompassed with the same temptation and weaknesses that we have, yet he did not sin. Yet the devil comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, after 40 days, what does he say to Jesus? He says, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into what? Bread. That's really important for us to understand that, you know what? 
the enemy came and he didn't say to Jesus, turn this stone into gold. Jesus didn't need gold at that moment. What did he need? <laughs> what is he going to do with a, a chunk of gold in the desert, in the wilderness? He doesn't need a chunk of gold. What he needs is a loaf of bread. Why? Because he's hungry. And the devil's going to come and he's going to tempt you always in your point of need. You know, why? Because if you don't need it, then you're not going to want it, right? If you don't think you need it, you're not going to want it. So the devil's going to come to you and he's going to tempt you in the point of your need. I'm a single adult. I, I've been unmarried. I'm single for 30 years now and I have a certain need and I have to get that need fulfilled. Whatever that need may be. It may be sexual. It may be relational. It may be spirit. Whatever it is. The devil will always come and offer you a shortcut. Notice what Jesus does, though. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. He won't live by that immediate gratification, but he'll live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Again, the devil came and took Jesus to a high mountain, and he said, throw yourself off this mountain, and if you are the Son of God... As the word of God says, the angels will come and they will care for you and they will keep you from falling. And Jesus says, it is also written, you're not supposed to tempt the Lord your God. Then the devil comes back to Jesus and says again, Jesus, you see all this out there? It all belongs to me. Well, he was lying, wasn't he? He was twisting the scripture. Yes, he is the prince of the air. But God never gave the devil the rights over his creation and over his universe. We give the devil rights over our life. And we give the devil rights over a certain area or, or a certain place. Why? Because the, in the hearts of man, when we do the wrong thing, we turn it over to the devil and we give him right. But God never gave him that right. And, and, and the devil said, I own all of this. Just bow down before me. And what did Jesus say? He said, no way. He said, I'm not going to worship anybody but the living God. And so the devil will always offer you shortcuts in your life to, listen to me, to meet an, an immediate need. Don't do it. It's a trick. Young lady, it's a trick. Young man, it's a trick. You might be saying, but I need a spouse. I need to have sex. I need money, whatever it is. If you know that it is not the will of God, if you know that it goes against the black and white in Scripture, that we're not to be yoked with an unbeliever, that we're not to take shortcuts in our life financially, whatever it is, friend, I want you to know you can rationalize it all you want. It's not of God. It's a trick from the enemy. Come on, somebody help me out. So maybe this morning you have a need. And you've been tempted to violate scripture to meet that need with a wrong decision. Stop right now and evaluate the consequences of that decision. It may seem right. It might seem like the answer to your need in your life. But if it violates scripture, it's not of God. How did Jesus deal with the temptation? Jesus did not allow his need to override God's word. Jesus never rationalized with God's word. The devil said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Because the angels will pick you up. You see, we could take a scripture here, and we could take a scripture there, and we could put it together and rationalize the word of God. But Jesus says, but it is also written. You see, friend, you have to know the totality of Scripture. That's why you've got to bury yourself in Scripture. That's why you've got to immerse yourself in Scripture so that you won't be led astray by a random scripture that makes you feel better or rationalizes your behavior. Number two, never underestimate. Write this down. Never underestimate your birthright as a child of God by over-exaggerating your need. Esau, look what Esau says. <laughs> I'm dying of starvation. Do you think Esau was dying? Listen to me. He probably ate breakfast about two hours ago. And now he's hungry. Have, have your kids ever said to you, what's for dinner? I'm starving to death. I often tell my, my kids, listen, you might be hungry, but please don't use the word starving. That happens somewhere else around the world, but not here in this house. And the truth is, 
Esau overestimated his need. He over-exaggerated his need. And often we become the victim, listen to me, of pressure because we over-exaggerate or create a need that doesn't exist. Esau was not dying. He was merely hungry. His exaggerated perception of his situation paved the way for him to lose the most valuable thing he had in his life. Jacob replied, all right, but trade me your birthright for me. And what does Esau say? Look, man, I'm dying. I'm going to die. What does my birthright mean to me now? Wow. Friends, that was the, the greatest mistake of this young man's life. Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of lentils. Esau traded his birthright for one moment of pleasure. Do you know what? What Esau was really trading when he traded his birthright? Esau was trading all the rights that he had as a firstborn to everything that his father had. Esau was trading wealth and riches and the right to be the firstborn over everything that his family had. He turned it all over to his younger brother for a moment of pleasure in his life. Wow. And friends, I want you to know the next time you have a moral decision to make, remember, you might be giving up a whole lot more than you would be receiving for that moment of gratification. Wow. Think about that for a moment. You see, he said, I'm going to starve. So what does my birthright mean to me? What did it mean to him? It meant everything to him. It meant that not only did he have the right to all these things, but that God's favor was on his life. Your birthright as a child of God means that God wants to abundantly bless you with everything that he has. Wow. That God wants to bless you with a great family. That God wants to bless you with a great home. Not a perfect family, not a perfect home. But God wants to bless you with a great ministry. That God wants to bless you with an awesome future. Listen to me. Your greatest birthright today is an awesome future. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. The Bible says that God knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, what you've got in your hand, the greatest thing that you've got in your hand right now is the future. Not only here in this world, but the life to come. Listen to me. What you have today, the greatest gift you have today is tomorrow. Is the future. Is the future here and the future up there. And so often we trade the future for the now. Because we've got to have it now. Because we've over-exaggerated our need for something in our life. God wants to shower you with purpose. God wants to shower you with destiny. Your, listen to me. Your birthright is a great name. Your birthright is a great name, Dad. Your birthright is a great name, Christian. And you could be trading away that birthright of a great name. The Bible says a great name is to be embraced even more than gold and silver. That I could trade away my birthright. You know, when I think of a, being a pastor, I think that's an incredible birthright that God gave me. That before I was born, God chose me to speak in front of you. And I never take that lightly. And I always pray and seek the face of God and I come to you with a fresh word. Why? Because I believe that's an incredible birthright. And friends, the enemy's constantly putting shortcuts in my way, constantly putting temptation in my way. And I'm thinking to myself, do I really want to trade off my birthright? A great name. Your birthright is a tremendous testimony of what God wants to do and has done in your life. Your birthright is God saying to you, one day I'm going to say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Can you imagine for a moment, close your eyes for a moment, can you imagine for a moment that one day you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, because you made the right decisions in your life, 
Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Christian, don't trade off your birthright. Why? Because I don't care how good that bowl of lentil soup tastes right then. I don't care how awesome that bowl of lentil might taste to you right now. I don't care how handsome that unsaved young man looks to you, young lady. I don't care how beautiful that young lady looks to you right now, young man. I don't care how enticing money and fame and fortune looks like to you right now. If you're outside of God's very best for your life, it's just a bowl of lentil soup. Listen to me. All the riches in the world that you can have. Somebody asked me, who's better off? A Christian has nothing or Donald Trump who's out of the will of God. And I say, a Christian that has nothing, that knows that their name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, who's going to walk on streets of gold, who has mansions in heaven, is, is, is more blessed and has a greater birthright than any man on the face of this earth that doesn't know the Lord and has all the wealth of this, of this planet. Come on, somebody say amen. You see, a bowl of lentil soup is here today. It's gone in a flash. For a moment of pleasure, Esau became a could have been. For a moment of pleasure, Esau became a should have been. Should have been the firstborn. Should have received the blessings of God in his life because he over-exaggerated his need and underestimated his reward. Wow. Esau lost it all because he over-exaggerated his need and he underestimated what God had for him. That's why Paul said, don't ever get weary and tired of doing good because in due season, you will reap what you have sown. Wow. Wow. Powerful. Can you pray with me this morning? I want to encourage you to never make a decision when you've lost sight of eternity. Listen to me. I know it's hard to keep your eyes.